This is the last message in a kind of four-week uh, uh, kind of series on prayer. And we're going to look at this passage from Ephesians 3 that Lewis just read for us. And we're going to... Uh, I want, as we begin this passage, I want to ask you if you would do something for me, which is basically this. Paul is writing to people he cares about, people he has a deep concern for, and he's, he's, probably, he's primarily writing to people who have a, has a concern for who are like probably in the faith or in the church. And so as we look at this passage, I want you to think of someone that you care about, okay? people that you have a concern for. So if you're a parent here, you might want to think of your kids. If, you, if, you're, if you're not a parent here, you might want to think of a friend or someone in your extended family. And I want you to think about those people as we look at this passage. Is that okay? All right, got someone in your mind? Great. Now, a little confession. The more you read this passage... The, the deeper it seems to go and you get into it, okay? So I feel a little bit like, as I prepared, a little bit like a kid who's lifted the lid on a treasure trove and I'm just looking at this thing thinking, there is just so much in it and the more you pull out of it, the more there seems to be. In fact, Paul, in this, in this passage says, I'm, I'm praying that you might grasp how wide and how high and how deep and how long is the love of God which surpasses all knowledge. In other words, I'm praying that you might know something which is beyond knowing. Okay, so if you come out confused, it's not my fault. That's all I want to say. Okay, so um, let's pray together and ask God to help us as we look at this passage. God, we thank you that you wrote this. We we want to pray that you would uh, speak to us as we look at this passage. And we want to pray by your spirit that you'd show us the things that you want us to see and hear. And that you would do something in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now a little bit of background. When you read Ephesians 3, the first part of this passage is basically all about uh, how Paul has been entrusted with a message, basically that the gospel is for anybody, that it wasn't just for people who were from kind of like Jewish ethnic birth, but anybody could come now to God through Jesus. And that's, he talks about it as being a mystery that was entrusted to him. And then he talks about the church and that the church is to display the manifold wisdom of God to the world. In other words, to show something of who God is to the world and to rulers and authorities. And then right in the middle of that, he suddenly starts praying. So he goes from teaching to praying. Theologians would say he goes from exposition to intercession. And he does a similar thing in Ephesians 1. If you read two, two chapters earlier, you'll find he does exactly the same thing. Now the question is, why does he do that? Why does he suddenly interrupt his teaching and suddenly start praying? Okay. Well, I want to suggest for two main reasons. First of all, this. Paul knows and believes that regardless of however clever he is or how much anointing he is or however brilliant insight he has, he cannot create the thing he most wants to see in the people he cares about. In other words, Paul has an appropriate smallness about his own ability. He knows he's limited in terms, of what, in terms of creating what he really wants to see happen. At the same time, he has another truth in his heart, which is that he believes that when he prays, that he is coming to someone who really is able to do everything that he's asking. So he's lim- he knows he's limited and he believes that God is totally unlimited. Now, I want to suggest to you that that is a good starting point for prayer. How many of us struggle to pray? Let's have a little confession, mass confession. It's okay. There's no one's taking a register. It's all right. Okay. I suspect there might. How many of us don't want to admit that we struggle to pray? Okay. 
I want to suggest to you that one of the reasons we struggle to pray, and I would put myself in this bracket, is that we are not always convinced that we need to. That we are confident that we can get done all the things that need to get done ourselves. We can create what we most want to see. And we are not confident that if we pray that God will do things and change anything. And so we struggle to pray because we have an elevated view of ourselves and a limited view of who he is. And this is a big struggle of the human heart. It probably has been the biggest struggle of the human heart ever since the start. Okay, If you read the story of Genesis, Adam and Eve and how sin enters the world, sin enters the world because Adam and Eve begin to change their view of who God is and change their view of who they should be. In other words, the serpent comes to Adam and goes, did God really say that? Did God really say you couldn't do this? Why didn't you try this? In other words, they start to think maybe God isn't who he says he is. Maybe I can't, maybe he's not completely trustworthy. And they start to limit their view of who God is. At the same time, they start to decide, actually, we would like to decide what we eat and what we don't eat. In other words, they want to go, we would like to choose for ourselves what's appropriate and what isn't appropriate. We want to make the decisions. And they start to elevate the view of themselves. In other words, they say, do you know what? I'm not sure I need God. I don't, think, I don't think we want him in this position over us where he tells us where the boundaries are. We want to choose the boundaries, right? About what we can do, what we can't do, what we eat, what we do with our bodies, what we don't do. And we start to elevate ourselves and they start to limit who God is. And that is exactly what happens with Adam and Eve and sin breaks into the world. And that has been the problem of the human heart ever since. That we are addicted to wanting to go our own way and live independent of him. In fact, not just be independent of God, but not recognize who he is and to take his place. And every human heart ever since has struggled with that condition, I want to suggest. It's me and it's in you and it plays out all over our lives all the time. And you see it when you come to the issue of prayer. Sometimes we think, oh, I'd like to pray. Tomorrow, imagine you think, I'm going to, tonight, you think, I'm going to get up in the morning, I'm going to pray. Okay, come tomorrow, it's amazing how your feelings might have changed from Sunday night, right? You get to Monday, and you get through Monday, you go, oh God, I would have prayed, but I didn't have enough time. I understand that phrase, I use that phrase as well. When you think about it though, what are we really saying to God when we say that? What we're saying is, I'm sorry God, but that 10 minutes I was going to give you, in the end, I really believed, what I really believed was it was I would be more effective doing stuff in those 10 minutes by myself than I would have been stopping and being with you for 10 minutes. In other words, I I can handle my life. I don't really need you. I I mean, I, I will come to you when it's critical and I clearly can't fix it. But the majority of the time, to be honest, I can just make it happen. Thanks ever so much. And that's effectively what we say to God a lot when we don't pray. And I say that as well. We don't say it out loud. But effectively, that's what we're doing. That's what we're living out. And it is what uh, an American theologian called Gordon Fee, what he calls, it's a pretty provocative phrase, he calls it practical atheism. So I'm a believer, but day by day I could live as an atheist. Because I'm kind of saying to him, I don't really need you. I can get on. And we live with this elevated sense of what we can accomplish and a limited sense of what he can and wants to do. 
And we get it all wrong. And it's been a problem ever since the start. And it's a problem now. We're addicted to it. And we just keep slitting into that groove all the time. Now, when you become a Christian, if you've become a Christian and you've ever made that step, what happens at that point is basically becoming a Christian is saying to God, I recognize that I am not very good at being in charge of my own life. I'm not a very good ruler. I should not be king. Please, I shouldn't be king because basically I create like carnage in my life. If I just do my own thing and make all my own decisions, it doesn't lead me anywhere good. So I need to take a place of appropriate smallness and acknowledge I'm not you and I need you, God, to be who you are because I need rescuing from my situation because I can't fix it. In other words, this is what happens. We go from where we kind of go, well, I'm pretty able and God's maybe not very able, not very interested. And we go, no, no, I'm really not very able and I believe he is. And it changes. Yeah? That's what happens when you become a Christian. You say, God, I want to orbit my life around you because my life only makes sense and only works when I do that. And we become appropriately small and he becomes appropriately big. We recognize that we are limited and that he is completely Unlimited. And Paul prays, I'm praying that out of your glorious riches, in other words, I believe you have glorious riches. I'm praying to one who's able to do more than I can ask or imagine. Imagine how even our little finite brains have a pretty big imagination. And he's saying, I'm praying to one who can do even more than my brain can conjure. And he gets it, he starts to get it right. Now, if you're a Christian here and you think, I've enjoyed these 21 days and I've enjoyed this series on prayer. If you've enjoyed it, but you want to cultivate a life where you pray more, and I suspect most will say, that is true, I do. It doesn't begin by going, how do I pray? It begins by going, why do I pray? And if you get the why question right, it leads to the how. And the why is, I pray because I acknowledge I am very limited. (laughs) If I'm a parent, I cannot parent my kids into the person I most want them to be just by my parenting. Because I'm limited. I cannot create. I'm not a creator. I can't create what I most want. I have a part to play. Absolutely. I need to learn and I need to sow. But in the end, only God makes things grow. So I recognize that I'm limited, but I believe that you're unlimited. And I believe you're interested and you're good. And that, if you get why do I need to pray, you get why right, it leads you to beginning to learn how to pray. Now, here's the thing, right? Today, hopefully by the end of this morning, you might go, I get it. My heart is in the right place. I guarantee you there's a very good chance that by tomorrow morning, and I don't know what happens to our brains, but we get all messed up. And by tomorrow morning, it starts to go the other way again. And you'll wake up. Even with all the good intentions, you've got to go, I've just got to get on, God. I'm sorry. I've just, I just got to get on. And we have begun to elevate in our own hearts what we can do. And we've begun to limit again in our thinking who he is and what he might want to do. And so you have to fight for this every day. Every day you have to fight for this because we're addicted to run back into the groove of thinking we are more able than we really are. And he is less interested and able than he really is. And that's where we drift all the time. 
That is why for me personally, the first moment of praying, the starting of praying is always the hardest thing. It's a bit like going for a run. It's always hard to go for a run at the start. Once a minute, okay. But it's the choice. If you wait to feel like you want to pray, you're going to wait a long time. You have to just choose because often you'll choose when at a point where you don't feel like you need to pray, but as you begin to pray, the truth of who you're relating to, it begins to kind of like take off in your heart. You think, oh God, I'm it starts to do this again. You start to get appropriately small and you realize who he is and that he cares for you. That's why it's great at the start when you pray to give thanks because you start to acknowledge all the good things come from him. He is who he says he is. But you don't often start there in your own heart. That's not my experience anyway. So you have to choose. And then as you choose and as you start, it begins to come alive. And we're going to talk a little bit more. That's why praying is always a trust issue. Okay, this is how I think of it. When I pray, let's say I pray for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. As I pray, really what I'm saying to God is, I'm trusting you that in these next 15 minutes, that what appears to me like inactivity on my part, I'm not doing the things I need to do. How many of you like making task lists? Yeah, how many of you every January buy a new notepad with new pens to make your task list? Uh, it's a prophetic word, okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But we love it. When I am, I've, I've ticked off five. I feel like my life is validated. Well, we do that in our whole lives. We're saying to God, I'm going to leave the task list and the special pens and the lovely notebook. I'm leaving it and I'm trusting you that for these next 10, 15 minutes, what feels like inactivity is going to be way more fruitful than with you than it could ever be when I'm running around on my own. It's a trust issue. Can I trust him enough to give him the time? And Paul gets it. He trusts him and he gives him the time and we start to see the world the right way up. Now, that's why, why is so fundamental. What does he pray? Remember, he's praying for people he loves. He actually, you know, not praying about things you don't care about, but he's actually praying for people he cares about. This is also one of the key things about praying. Pray for things that you actually care about and then God will do change your heart so you start to care about the things he cares about. What does he pray? Well, this is what he prays. Now remember, we, he prays for something that's bothered, he, it matters to him. We should pray about things that matter to us and when we do pray, we tend to bring what is most important to him. Well, Paul is no exception. Notice what is most important to Paul as he prays, Okay. Really engage with it. It says this. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power, again, together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide, how long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, when you pray for people you care about, what do you pray for? What do you pray for? How does it match with that? I want to suggest to you that what I pray for doesn't tend to match with that very often. I tend to pray circumstantial prayers. In other words, I pray, God help my kids with their exams, or God give that person a job, or please look after that person's health. I pray about all the external issues. Anybody else relate to that? Now, there's nothing wrong with that because Jesus says, pray, give us this day our daily bread. So that's not a wrong thing to pray. 
But I would want to suggest to you that we have something to learn here. Because Paul is praying for people he cares about deeply and he's praying what appears to be the most important thing. And the most important thing he prays about is nothing to do with what happens externally. And it has everything to do with who they are inside them. He's praying absolutely about their inner life and nothing about their external life. So he asked God, out of your great riches, by and through your Holy Spirit, give them strength inside them so that they may know Jesus dwelling in their hearts and they might be absolutely rooted in love and that from there they might have power to grasp just how vast is your love and they will be filled to all the, with all the fullness of God. He prays something very similar in Ephesians 1. Why does he pray that? Because surely Paul believes that more than all the circumstances, more than the jobs and the careers and the exam results and the houses and the flats, the right school for your kids, more than all those things, even our health, he's praying for their inner life because he believes that's the most important part of a person. Proverbs 4 If you know the Bible at all, it's quite a, you probably might have heard Proverbs 23. It says this Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. In other words, more important than anything else, (laughs) right at the top of the priority list. If you have a nice notebook with nice new pens for the new year, write this one at the top. Above all else, guard your heart. Another translation says, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. In other words, your external life, your job, your career, your relationships, your marriage, or, or whatever situation you're in, flows from your inner life. Now, it's interesting because we live in a world that says completely the opposite to us. You know, the general philosophy of the Western world is this. Accumulate as much as you can. Get as much money. Climb as high as you can. Get all the trappings of success, whatever we define that to be. But generally, it's notoriety and fame and money, etc., etc. Get all that stuff, and there will be a flow from there back into our hearts, and we will have a happy and fulfilled heart. Yeah? That's the kind of general thinking in the world. You see that everywhere. That's what all our kids are being brought up to think. That's what we have been conditioned to think. The truth is, though, what we recognize is when people do get everything they want externally, it doesn't appear to ever generate a happy heart, ever. In fact, it appears to generate a ruined heart because they got everything they wanted and now they're hopeless because it hasn't generated anything they needed. It doesn't work outside in. We were made to know him. Your soul was made to be in connection and relationship. That means everything good works inside out. And Paul is praying for their inner life because he knows if we get this right, if their inner world is in line with you, if they know you deep inside them, then the rest of everything else flows from that place. Guard your heart. Everything flows from here. Pay attention to the condition of your soul, in other words. So Paul prays, I'm praying for the people I love. Think about the people that you care about. I'm praying that they will be strengthened with power through his spirit so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. Now, a few quick comments, okay? As he is praying for them, these people, this is the kind of thing we should pray for ourselves. 
by the way. This is, and I want to suggest that as we pray for people, that what I'm describing in Ephesians 3 happens to us at the same time. So as we're praying for this person to be strengthened, often as we pray, we start to feel strengthened. So as we talk about this passage, I'm going to kind of flip in between talking about people we're praying for and also what is going on inside of us at the same time, because I think that's what happens. Now, a few quick comments, because we haven't got much time. Notice, when he prays for the people he loves, he prays, God, by the power of your spirit, come and strengthen them inside. Okay, the Holy Spirit is, he is critical when it comes to us learning how to pray and seeing God move in people's lives. He's our great helper. It's an interesting thing. We're praying to him. We say, God, I need you. God, I'm recognizing who I am and who you are. I need you. And at the same time, he's saying, and the Holy Spirit comes alongside us to help us pray to him. So we say to God, I need you. And God himself by his spirit comes alongside us to help us pray. There's a lot of grace in that picture, I think. That's good. It means we're not alone when we pray. He's alongside us, encouraging us, helping us pray. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but I feel like I'm on my own, and then I begin to pray, and I feel like I'm not on my own. So Paul says in Ephesians 6, pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Praying in the Spirit. He, we don't pray on our own. And it's like as you pray, the Spirit's there going... That's right. Go on, keep going. It's right. You're saying tr- it's true. Keep going. And Paul prays that by the power of the Spirit, Christ might dwell in their hearts. And they'd be strengthened because of it. Now, question. Does Christ already dwell in their hearts? Yes. He's writing to Christians who have already given their life to Jesus. They know Jesus. So that's already happened. But he's praying So I'm praying that they'll be strengthened by the Spirit so Christ may dwell in our hearts. In other words, he is not praying for something that hasn't already happened. It's already happened. So what is he praying for? I want to suggest what he's praying for is that the truth of what has already happened would be reignited again in their life and in their heart. That they would remember, because we forget, (laughs) we keep slipping back in the groove, of I'm more able and he's less interested, that they would remember and experience again that Jesus is theirs and they are his. And they would not just know it in their heads, but they would know it in their hearts. It's a different kind of knowing and they would experience it again in their hearts. So the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. In other words, what he's saying, there's an experience of truth which is just in your brain, Knowing truth, that's important. But there is another level to knowing which is in your heart when you experience it. It's a bit like food. Who here likes food? Amen. That's the biggest response I've had all day. Thanks, everybody. Okay. Anybody here like curry? Yeah, muted Chinese? I think Chinese won it. Okay. Okay. Let's go with the Chinese picture then. Imagine I was to describe to you that I had a Chinese the other night. I didn't. But let's say, what's a, what's a, what's a popular Chinese dish, dish, Louis? Chicken chow mein. Chicken chow mein. Okay. So I had chicken chow mein, which I didn't, but imagine I did. I've already got a response here. He's like on his knees praying, praying God. Uh, so imagine, and I describe it to you. You kind of go, yeah, 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 I quite like that. That would be nice. And kind of cognitively, you'd get it. But imagine if Louis, who's a very generous guy, because he's a Sims, was to say, I'm going to buy everybody Chinese. 
I'm going to buy you all chicken chow mein, right? And, and he decides at the end of church day, he's going to take us all the way down to whatever the nearest Chinese shop in Downham. And he's buying you all chicken chow mein. Amen. Thank you, Louis. Let's give him a round of applause. Okay. Now, imagine if he did that. I'm not saying he's going to do it. But imagine if he did. And you ate chow mein with him. Your experience of knowing goes from here to here. Because now you know. Right? Now you know. And that's what Paul is praying for. I'm praying that they're not just going to know. I'm praying again they're going to know. Inside them, truth. That Christ dwells in their hearts. That I am his and he is mine. And the Spirit loves to lead us again to that revelation all the time. The Holy Spirit especially loves to remind us that we're his sons and heirs. So Romans 8 says this, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Notice, the spirit testifies with our spirit that we're his children. And as you pray, that's what begins to happen. You're like, I believe this. And the Spirit's going, it's true, it's true. And something inside you's going, I believe it is true. Because the Spirit and your Spirit are testifying that it's true. And it starts to get set on fire. In other words, truth gets set on fire in our hearts by the Spirit. That's often what happens when you worship. You begin by singing these words. You kind of know them, hopefully. And they're like here. And you're still thinking about the coffee you had. And, you're th- and after a while, if you wait long enough, it goes from oh, I can sing them, to, oh, I believe that. That's not often where you start. You kind of believe it, but you don't taste it. But after a while, you start to taste it. You start to know it. And the Spirit is setting on fire the truth. And then it says this, knowing that Christ dwells in your heart, now that you will be rooted and established in love. That's, he's praying, I'm praying that you will, you'll be strengthened by the Spirit, that you might know that Christ dwells in your heart, and you'll be rooted and established in love. Now, rooted is an agricultural phrase. Plants, those are the things that grow through the concrete around us, okay? I know we're urban dwellers. But rooted is like Psalm 1 is a picture of someone rooted. Psalm 1 is, blessed is the man who meditates in the Lord day and night. He is like a tree planted by the river, rooted by the river. And then his leaf doesn't wither. In other, words, in, in other words, he's rooted in love and it bears fruit in his life. Established is like a building phrase, like a, you know, building a, a house or, or an office flat or office block or flats where they, they root it or establish it on foundations. Jesus teaches in Matthew 7 a story about two builders who build their lives, one on Sand, in other words, on whatever we want to choose, we'll do our own thing, we'll live with an elevated sense of our self-importance. Or he says you can build your life on me, on the rock, and you can establish yourself. And Paul is praying, now, knowing that someone is there, strengthened in their love, that they would be rooted and established in his love. In other words, from that place, that's where all the outside life grows. When you are not rooted in love, I want to suggest you'll look anywhere for it. If you're not confident that God is for you and that he loves you absolutely and that you are totally accepted as you are, then you will get blown around in your life 
And you will look for that kind of love and acceptance anywhere you can find it, in any kind of experience, in any kind of relationship. And you will keep looking, hoping that somewhere you're going to find something or someone that's going to satisfy the deep longings of your heart. If you don't get rooted, but if you get rooted in his love, suddenly you realize, no, I'm loved. I don't have to keep looking everywhere else. And you start to build and grow a life that bears fruit. That's why Jesus says, look, there's two ways to live your life. My way or your way. Your way, your life doesn't prevail in the end. The house just gets blown over in the end. So he says, I'm praying out of that you'll be rooted and established in love. You'll know that you're a son and an heir and that you're favored and that he's for you and not against you. I'm praying you'll be rooted. And then he says, from there that you will experience power. Now, I think this bit's fascinating because in our kind of church, we immediately think power must mean power to pray for the sick must be power to go and do great things, must be power to kind of live a really successful life. And obviously there is power in, this, in the New Testament for praying for the sick and doing great things and boldness. That's true as well. But Paul here doesn't pray that at all. He's praying, I'm praying for the people I love that they will know by your spirit that they are Jesus's and he's there and that they will be strengthened inside so that they can be rooted again in love and they will have power for what? To grasp just how much he loves us. <laughs> and I just think, no, no, Paul, we've already done the love thing. We've already talked about all that stuff. Now we need to do the doing thing, right? We get rooted in order to do all the doing, which is true as well. But what he says is, I'm praying you're going to get rooted again so that you might begin to grasp just how much he cares about you just how fond of you, just how secure you are, just how much you don't have to strive, just how much you can trust him. And I'm praying that you will get rooted so you can grasp how much he loves you. That word to grasp is not like, oh, I hope I get it in my head. It is literally like, we got four kids. Our two youngest ones yesterday were fighting a lot. They were just in a kind of fun way, but in the kind of way a parent kind of goes, please, could you stop after about two minutes? And they kept on like grabbing each other. Well, that's what that word means. It's literally like someone jumping on you. Or if you walk out here and you got hit by a bus, please don't. But if you did, you'd be grabbed in that sense. You would grasp the reality. And he's praying like a bus hitting you that they will grasp again the reality of how much God cares for you. Because if you get that inside of you and you understand that you are secure and that you understand you're a son and an heir, everything flows from there. And he prays it because two reasons, and this is what we end with. One, it is so critical to a meaningful life. This is the heartbeat. I understand that this is who I am. This is who you are. You care for me. I'm loved and I'm accepted. And he prays it because he knows how easily we slip out of that thinking and we start again just to think, oh, do you know what? Maybe I could just get on my own. I can do my own thing. God, I'll come to you when I need you. But I really, and then we start down that track again. And so he's praying, God, give them strength inside them by your spirit that they might be rooted and established so they might have power, so they might begin to get their small brains around how vast is your care for us and how significant that is 
so that they might be filled with all the fullness of who you are. It's amazing. And it's true for you, and it's true for me, and it should be the way we pray for people. It should be the way we pray for ourselves. And I'm praying that as we've looked at this passage, that God has done something of that work in your heart, just as we've looked at it together. Amen? Let's stand together, and we're going to pray.